Welcome to this week's episode of the Good Luck Club podcast. My guest this week is entrepreneur Jenny Knighting, founder and CEO of Nutcracker Agency. Jenny, welcome to the show. Thanks, Simon. It's great to be here. Well, maybe you could start off by telling my audience a little bit about yourself. So I founded Nutcracker six years ago um, with a specific goal of closing the gap between sales and marketing. I think that often sales and marketing teams, um, they work in silos. And actually, if you can align them, that's when kind of the magic happens. And I also noticed a real disconnect between um, how marketing was run from agencies. You'd kind of have a digital marketing agency, you'd have a social media agency, you'd have a, you know, a creative agency. Didn't seem to make a lot of sense to me when really they should be talking to each other to maximize kind of results. And I also wanted to found a business which created an environment where people could thrive. Um, so that's what I've been doing for the last six years. Prior to that, I worked for a number of um, startup scale-ups, um, very much leading on the commercial side of the businesses. I've always loved um, challenges. So startups, whether that's events or businesses, that's kind of my passion. Was it a big leap of faith to go from working for someone else to starting your own business? Um, not, I mean, yes and no. I dipped my toe in the water um, seven probably oh gosh 10 years previously with a couple of ex-colleagues approached me and asked me to do a startup events business but I was very much sheltered because they were doing kind of the waltz and all of running it um but I'd had experience there of kind of the buck very much stopping with me and you know kind of that insecurity if you like of not being bankrolled by an established business um and when I decided to set up Nutcracker it was really quite impulsive. I was um, about to take over quite a big job at the business side, really sweated blood and tears to help build. And I just had a light bulb moment where um, a number of things had contributed to it, but I kind of on the spot wrote my resignation letter and registered the business the next day. And when my husband said to me that night, we've had a good day, he um, was quite surprised. <laughs> Sometimes that is the best way. I think uh, for my listeners out there, I mean, that's a good story. Sometimes people talk about how they planned it and it was very methodical. Yeah, and they, but sometimes it is you just go for it, right? And you jump in. Sounds like that's what you did. And then went home and told your partner, which is um, a great way to announce you have a business. Yeah, I mean, when you've got two small kids at home, you know, obviously it's probably not what he's expecting. But, but I think um, <laughs> it's easier if you have a commercial background because it's not such a punt because you know you can sell, you know you can do things. I think it's it's a harder journey to make that leap if you come from a you know product-based background or a technical background because you don't necessarily have the, you've got the skills to bring a product, then how do you get it to market? So I think it's easy to be impulsive if you, if you, can, if you can sell things yourself. It's a very interesting insight. I can concur. I'm, I'm a sales and marketing person myself. I feel like sometimes to start a business, I don't feel like it's that risky. I, I feel yeah. like you know, once you know how to sell and you can get business in, you say it's a lot less risky than maybe an engineer building something and then not knowing if it will get to market. So, yeah, you know, and often you know. the businesses that I help or work closely with, um, the real disconnect is not having a strong sales and marketing arm. The product can be great, but if no one knows about it, it's not going to sell anything, right? So, mm. you know, I think um, I, th- I think I think it does give you an advantage if you know that you can pick a phone up. And I guess that was one of the foundations I learned. That business I, me- I mentioned previously, sorry, <clears throat> you know, starting having no database, no nothing, but knowing we had to put an event on in six months, you know, you kind of put your money where your mouth is and say, right, I think I'm good. Let's see how good I am. You know, and 
you're calling companies like Microsoft and IBM, they're saying we don't support launch events, let alone launch businesses, you know, and then you get them you make them sponsor the events. That kind of fear is abated because you know you can do it no matter what the circumstances. So I guess starting something without that fear is a massive advantage. Did you come straight out of school into a job or did you, how did it, how did, what did you do at school and how did it play out? Yeah, so um, I had a mixed early start in school, but then found my feet um, and then I went on to get a politics degree. So kind of went all the way through. Um, yeah, so I can't tell you it was some impressive story like you were left at like 16, 17. It wasn't no, impressive at the time, I would like to add. <laughs> somehow in retrospect it sounds impressive but at the time um everyone thought, thought i was insane but but i mean do you do you find that when you um when you started out you had a natural ability for sales straight up did you know that in school i'm just thinking about my listeners out there trying to identify I mean, what their skill is you know like I, I was always that child that talked too much i always fidgeted i always couldn't sit still like when i was little obviously i grew out of that you'll be pleased to hear um you know, I guess I guess I've always been a talker and a politics degree is all about putting your point of view across, it's all about debating, it's all about winning an argument, isn't it? Which I know sounds isn't an argument, but it's that kind of that process. Um, and when I started out my first job, um, I started a different job and very, very quickly, um, the CEO of that business said, we think you should be in sales. I mean, it was a very quick process for us, you know, it clearly was absolutely appalling at administration and my natural <laughs> strength lied in sales so yeah it was a kind of quick evolution um and you know I kind of never look back I mean to me sales is just getting paid to talk it's amazing yeah, a lot of people don't like sales I think sales is a wonderful word I think somehow it's become somewhat of a dirty word seen as an inappropriate um, thing to describe yourself as a salesperson as if it's yeah. bad but I think sales people are amazing I and I know I am one so I would say that but if you get sales right you can feed a business it can grow a business and, and you can make meaningful relationships over time with people like no other discipline I yeah I think the reason why people say it's so hard to find good sales people is because exactly what you say people either go into sales because they don't have a passion for it they don't believe, they don't respect it as an art and I think what a lot of people forget is that whatever they're in for any business they're in the sales role if they're in marketing they're selling something if they're in product development they're selling like everybody sells something it's just somewhere along the lines people want to kind of go I'm in sales but I don't really get that like if someone if I was interviewing a salesperson they mumbled they're in sales I'd be like you're not a salesperson go and do something else like you should I don't really get why people aren't more proud of it as a profession because I think it's fabulous too couldn't agree more i think i'm going to have you on just to talk about sales but today i want to document your story about it all day long yeah me too for that matter but i i think i want i want to try and get grips with with your history and 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 what learnings you've had as an entrepreneur and i wondered if you could share with our audience as a measure of how you think what you see as success and what success means to you so for me i don't think success is one-dimensional i think that if you're going to give a benchmark of one aspect of your life then I think that's quite short-sighted I mean success comes in lots of different packages whether it's um, success for how we're achieving for our clients success for how happy the team are success for how I'm tracking against my short to long-term plans I think success for me is there's lots of different aspects in my life professionally but also personally there's other aspects so for me success isn't one-dimensional there's lots of areas that I want to feel successful in to feel I'm achieving is there any one particular thing that you kind of have as a target of success? Um, you know, I mean, I guess, I guess I've always, since I founded the business, I've had 
fairly concrete strategies in place in terms of how I want the business to grow. So from a fundamental, like from an obvious point of view, it's, is the business tracking against my strategy? That's quite easy way to measure it. And obviously with what's happened recently with COVID, that's certainly been an interesting period of time. Um, and having had the security of the business threatened, I'd say that's probably more important than I realised pre-COVID because the business kind of evolved and was successful. And I mean, of course, there's been extremely difficult times, but not from a financial perspective. So I think I've come to realise that after the last few months, actually, success is probably wrapped up with security more than I probably would have said before. Yeah, I think security is an interesting word, isn't it? As a as a as a construct, what what is security? What what is security for you? Do you think? So I think well, I could get really deep here. I don't know. I think I think security to me is probably how I'm feeling emotionally myself. Like, I think with running your own business, I mean, and I'm, you know, I'm the sole shareholder, I don't have a board to report to, the buck stops with me. I think for me, it's not allowing that fear. I, I very rarely give in to fear. Um, I very, like when I started the business, you know, lots of people told me that I wouldn't achieve my first year targets. You know, people are so quick to, you know, tr- to create doubt in your mind, I guess, especially you know, it was only six years ago, but being, being female, having small children, like people are very quick to kind of try and make you have doubt in your journey. And I've never had that fear. The second I try and give into fear that comes across my mind, that's when things don't feel possible. So for me, I think success is when I'm feeling really strong mentally and my perception is good and that I can cope with a lot of different challenges that life throws my way. I think perception is really key. What's your perception like? And I think success is often interlinked with, and I, and I know it's cheesy, but it is your attitude, you know, your positive attitude does breed success. And I'm a really firm believer in that. Interesting. I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's interesting that as well that I think people will say things to you. And I'm thinking about my audience again, when they, when people might be saying, they might say, I'd like to start a business on my own. And they'd say, well, we'll do it later. Or, you know, why don't you finish your education first, for example? Or why don't you go to university first? Or and there's always, there's always, and often these are with good intentions, right? People say the, people say these things because they love you, but they, they can also hold you back. But it sounds like you push through some of those early doubts or, or comments how did you push through was it just a self-belief or did you believe in your idea so much or what was it that made you push through those I don't think I'm very good at being told what to do <laughs> you know I think it's as simple as that I mean I was being brought up I had a very strong I do have a very strong father figure who installed in me a sense of self-belief um, and I think in a professional capacity I've never failed of course, I've failed in some ways, but I've never failed in how I perceive failure. So I think for me, I didn't really listen to what people had to say. I mean, you know, when COVID struck and the business took a downturn, I had people around me saying, "Follow the whole team, press pause. And I was just thinking, why would I do that? Like, you know, I spent more money. I kept as many people I could in play to market the business more. You know, and the end result is Nutcracker secured 11 clients in eight weeks. Well, that wouldn't have happened if I'd listened to those people around me. So I think, I think that's not to say you can't ha- get a lot of value from mentors. You can't get a lot of value from talking to experts, but I think you always have to have a pinch of sort of why, why do people try and push doubt into you? Is it because they wish they had the balls to do it themselves? Is it because they're insecure? Like what is governing someone to tell you that you can't achieve your dream? Um, and I think that's a f- like quite complex to really get to the bottom of that. 
Yeah, I, I agree. It makes sense. It does make a lot of sense. I think it's an interesting subject, and, I, and I'm sure a lot of my listeners have this problem where they have actually succumbed to other people's opinions because sometimes they can becoming they can come from people that actually care about you. So they they, they think they've got your best interest at heart, but like you say, often they've got their own baggage. So they've got their own baggage, yeah. and you know, and I think really it's about listening to what you want. I mean, unless you're doing something particularly stupid or reckless, you don't look back at you don't look back with regrets at what what you've done. You look back with regrets at what you didn't do. So. You know, I think life is really there for grasping. And, you know, people say, what if it fails? Well, if it fails, you'll do something else. Like the world will not end. You will, you know, but you will have had that experience. And what if it doesn't fail? What if it succeeds? And I think too many people look at what ifs in a negative way, saying what if, and then it's the worst case scenario, whereas what if, and it's the best case. I mean, I had an interesting chat with one team today about um, when you're born, your pro- human beings are automatically programmed to be quite pessimistic. And, you know, positive people actually have gone against that natural pessimism. And I think that when you start or found a business, you know, that optimism, that feeling of you can do and that absolute determination to succeed is what will see you through. And positivity, you know, going out there, really believing in what you're doing, as long as you've got good people around you, you've got good ideas, you've got good strategy, you can execute it. There's no reason why businesses, unless it's a terrible idea, won't have a chance of success. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I have with my three-year-old, I can see it. He thinks everything is possible, actually. He's born with a complete optimistic mindset to the point where he actually thinks he can climb very high walls and jump off them without any problem. And it's me that has the fear and is busy telling him he can't do this and he can't do that. But he absolutely believes he can do it all. But somehow over time, I think we do somewhat suppress people by based on our own beliefs. Like I look at how high he can jump at three and I'm assuming he can't do it, but he can. He and can. he does and so it's me that believes he can't do it it doesn't mean he can't right so again yeah I, I mean I don't know if you've heard that podcast it's for, um, a TED talk from Ken Robinson around creativity in schools killing killing up sorry schools killing creativity in our kids yes and I've had the privilege to meet Ken so I you know I'm a big fan yeah and I, you well know, I'm extremely so jealous because I, I it really resonated with me his talk and I thought it was so interesting that we indoctrinate people to learn in such rigid um you know, boundaries. Yeah, the kid that can't sit still, like perhaps they're a dancer. Or whatever, you know, like, I just, I found what he said really resonated. Like with your three-year-olds, like why do we suddenly make people self-conscious, aware, fearful? I don't know why. Perhaps it's human instinct to survive and we're just trying to protect them from breaking the legs. Like, <laughs> or, like, like you say, this, this could get very deep because this can go all the way back to like the early days of manufacturing and basically wanting to put people, make them become automated. So they all yeah. wear the same uniform. So they all fall into line and work on the same production line. You know, yeah. ultimately they, they blend into the background and, 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 and service the needs of, of, of the 1%. Starting to get into conspiracy theories now, but um, but yeah, I mean, there's definitely something in it, isn't there? Because your there? questions, you can't blame me. No, they're not, don't. It's my fault. I'm taking us there as well. Just just stepping back uh, from conspiracy theories that I'm now um, I'm putting out there. But do, do your parents um, um, like the entrepreneurial path that you take? And how did they, are they entrepreneurs? It sounds like your father's very supportive. How did your mother view? Um, um, so, so my parents uh, worked in the NHS, both successful in their own fields. But no, they're, they're very proud of what I do. I mean, I think with me, I've always been a bit of a free spirit. I've always kind of done what I want to do. And um, there's been times where, you know, I phoned my dad at the end of my tether and just said, Dad, I can't do this. He said, well, what do you want to do? Go and bake cakes. You know, what's the option? What's the alternative? You know, you know, so 
There's nothing wrong with baking cakes, by the way. I love baking cakes. You're um, me hungry just talking about cakes. I mean, I, I'm a big cake fan, so that was a terrible example. I know but... exactly what you mean, though. It's like, <laughs> this is what your path is. This is who you are. So just get on what with it. What do you it. want to do, opt out? It's like, you know, yeah. when you have a degree of success, it's very quick to see people who just can't cope with it. And then what do you want to do? You want to just dumb yourself down to feel like you can either opt in or opt out, can't you? And I guess I've always wanted to, you know, opt in. And, and I always ask this question of my guests, and but, um, do you think entrepreneurs are born or bred? You know, I, I think I think it's quite interesting. I think that there's certain characteristics that lend themselves to being entrepreneurs, um, but I think I think I think there's also a level of experience. I mean, if you look at say someone like yourself who started so young, it's hard to argue that's not a born that's not born in you. Like there's not characteristics driving you on just, you know, whatever propelled you in your early years. But I think, it, I think it's a mixture of the two. I don't necessarily think you wake up, like if you were born with certain A type personality traits and all the rest of it, you know, you're also back and run your own business. I think there's life experience, like experiences that come in life, which prompts you to think that way or prompts you to think it's possible. I really think it's a mixture of the two. I think certainly people with certain characteristics types will find it easier you know, those prone to dealing better with stress, those um, people who are very focused, quite driven, I think have higher energy levels. I think they're going to naturally find it an easier path. Um, so I do definitely think it, asserts, it's, it suits certain characteristics better than others. Do you think you would ever work for someone else again? You know, I had, um, I had a boss who um, I worked with on and off for a very long time who told me, that I was unmanageable and that he was the only person that could manage me. So probably not. Um, it's interesting. <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, but of course I would, you know, sometimes I think, crikey, it'd be easy to be a creative and commercial director somewhere. I'm bloody good at it. Like, but you know, I started this journey to build a business and scale it and to exit it. And that's, that's what I'm going to do. And then I'd love to go on to be, you know, non-exec director of businesses to, to do what I do best. And that's to help business growth. I think is a lot for a lot of people listening out there. Of course, the path of building a business is many ways where it ends up too. So, my business, for example, was purchased by PwC, and but they, they, I could have gone to work for them. Actually, I, I wouldn't have minded as such, other than I was working something else by the time they bought my company. But, but the point is that sometimes, as long as you're enjoying what you do every day, you can. Right, as long as you're given autonomy and freedom, which is what sounds like is important to you. Yeah, but I think in that situation, that'd be very hard, wouldn't it? To have your own business that you've sold, especially to a business like PwC, and to watch it change irreversibly. Mm. I think that's quite hard. Like, like well, it's, hard, my it's, it's hard when, you, when you're not working in it, to be honest. I've, that's yeah, a, I and to, probably still, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I, mean, I think like, it's your baby, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it was, it's definitely an interesting uh, element because, you know, you, everyone dreams of building their business up and selling it for a lot of money. But the reality of when you've actually done it, it's, it's a bit like selling one of your children. <laughs> I can imagine you know, you're free suddenly to go and do what you want at the weekends but you're like hold on a minute Something's where's it gone where's, where's that little child gone but um yeah. but your, your parents both worked in the NHS and but when when you've fallen into this entrepreneur world they, there was never that um, pressure to say well you know education and and you know get a get a get a proper job they, they've always I know you've said they were supportive, but there was never that. No, I mean, I, I, I had a quick, I had quite a rapid rise in my career to very senior positions very young. Um, I was always very driven in the business world. Um, and it was my dad saying, what you got to lose? It doesn't work, go and get another job. Like, so, yeah, no, I mean, they couldn't see why I wouldn't do it. Mm, good advice there, by the way, I think with the listeners out there. You know, if it doesn't work, you can just get another job. 
Yeah, my dad was like, what's the big deal? Like, you know, you, you know, you can always come up with your share of money if you have to. I could go and work in Pizza Express and you go, go and clean people's head. Like, there's always ways to earn money. But, you know, you've got to, you've got to follow your dream, haven't you, if you've got one? So, yeah, so I, I guess um, I, I, I was just wondering a, a little bit more about the whole process of where you want to go with the business. Do you, you six years in, what's interesting about you, I think, is this, as you mentioned earlier, you are the sole owner and you are the sole, sole founder, right? So, so there's an element of, to me, that can sometimes sound quite tough as well. That's quite a lot to carry on your shoulders. Um, of course, at the same time, it gives you freedom. But, but for people that are thinking about getting a partnership versus, versus going, going the way you're talking, you, you've done, we're talking about, you know, what, what advice or insights can you share with us around that? I think, I think it's difficult either way. Um, for those looking at starting a business, there's a great book by Jamie Waller called Unsexy Business. And in that, he looks at different businesses who have had partnerships. Well, it's not the purpose of it. It just happens to be that these businesses in their journey, they have partnerships that cause pain points. Um, as a sole founder, you know, yes, it's difficult because it can be very lonely. It can be very difficult. Um, you can feel like you're just giving and giving and giving and giving and it's very tough but I wouldn't do it any differently that's not to say that I don't think that people can have value like one of the people in my team who my head of content Charlotte's been with the business for five and a half years she's definitely plays a, a role in you know when things are too much kind of dissecting it and talking it through um, as do other people around me so but I think knowing the buck stops with you, like if you want to give someone promotion, if you want to give someone a pay rise, if you need to make them exit the business and you haven't got to have some great big consensus, it's just your decision. I think it makes it easier. And the times where the business has been pushed to the edge and it, or maybe the business hasn't, I've been pushed to the edge. Being able to make the decisions myself has made it much easier to manage and much easier to diffuse or escalate whatever, you know, whichever is needed rather than kind of having to get buy-in from people around me. But of course, that's because that's my experience. If I was in a business which had partners, I'd probably swear blind that was best. Well, yeah, I mean, it's I've had all sorts of structures and different businesses. And to be honest, there's no perfect setup. Yeah, I, th I think you get challenges, whatever. I mean, certainly some of the businesses that I work with that were founded and there's, you know, a few, a few founders, like inevitably one of them seems to fall out and they exit, like... I don't think there's a perfect path, whatever you choose to do. I think you have to be adaptable and be able to adapt to what's happening and and also be aware that it's not going to be a utopia. It's not going to have butterflies floating around you and little birds tweeting. It's going to be tough at times and it's having the resilience to be able to cope with that. Yeah, totally. I, mean, I, I sometimes use the analogy of, of marriage. You know, sometimes you can you can get married and it can be the most amazing experience and you're together 50 years and it's perfect. And other times you'll give her three months and end up wanting to kill each other and having a divorce or you don't get married at all. Um, and yeah. you know, that, So there's just so many different ways to do it. But you've never been tempted to have a co-founder? No. And you've never thought about bringing partnerships in the last six years? There's never been a moment you're like, you know what, I don't, I want, I don't want any more staff turnover. Just you know, be a shareholder and join. That's never crossed your mind? Well, I think there's a couple of people at business that I've earmarked to have some, like, that's, that's, that's different. Like, there's people that if I exit, I want to benefit from because they've played an intrinsic part in building the business. Um, but no, I've, I've never felt like that. It's also an interesting point, again, for my listeners to pick up on. I think sometimes with people that um, are working 
with you, they don't necessarily want the burden of equity. They don't necessarily want the burden of ownership. Sometimes it is, there's also a downside to that, right? You have costs some months that don't, don't meet your income. You know, you have responsibilities I mean, there. I don't think anyone Nutcracker wants my job. I think that <laughs> <laughs> no one, I keep saying swap and they're like, no way. I think, um, I think the people that I know will benefit should the business ever exit know me well enough to know that they will do very well out of it. Um, and I think that's, I think, I think that works for Nutcracker. I think that's good. I think if Nutcracker gets to a stage where um, that's on the cards, then obviously I'll have agreements, you know, drawn up so that they know how they're going to benefit. But um, no, I've certainly not thought about diluting it because, you know, it's been a, it's been six years now of a really tough slog of sacrifice, of hard work, of highs, but also lows. And I think suddenly bringing someone in now, I think that'd be very difficult. I know you said earlier you made a very quick decision to start the business, but I bet you spent a long time thinking about the name. I feel like Nutcracker is such a good name. Oh my goodness, I'm going to be such a letdown. No, I didn't. I basically, um, every single name I've thought of, which I shouldn't admit as I'm a creative lead, was taken much to my disgust, someone else had thought of it. Um, that's not the same with obviously my advertising campaigns. They are unique and amazing. Yeah, totally, of course, yeah. Um, but then um, my husband came in and said, what about Nutcracker? Uh, you know, cracking the tough ones. He'd like sketched a walnuts and you're cracking it and it's peeling back the layers. And I checked out the Nutcracker Ballet and luckily good conquered evil, otherwise been a bit stuffed if the baddies have won. And so it just kind of aligned. And um, yeah, it's memorable, isn't it? I, I like the fact that it's memorable. It's it's quirky. Um, so yeah, so no, it was a kind of instant decision. It was, I decided on a spot to resign and my boss who I'd worked with on a number of years, I knew would convince me otherwise. So before I went into work, the next time I was due in, I knew I had to have registered the business. So it was a very quick decision of what to call the business and then register it and, and do it. Well, that's probably another learning. I think I personally spend a long time thinking about names of companies and uh, sometimes, again, just picking a name and, going with it and making it work. Well, the second you analyse it, you don't like anything. Like, that's true, yeah. Whereas it's like a baby, isn't it? Once your baby's born, if you call it Isabel, you can't imagine them being Gertrude yeah. or... Well, no, I ever had Gertrude on my shortlist, but no, Gertrude, the agency. I mean, there's nothing wrong with Gertrude no, either. Again, you're very politically correct at points. Highlighting you know, all of I these things Gertie, are fine. Gertie's a really cute name. In fact, I should have had Gertie on my list. Gertie, maybe the next company, next company, Gertie. I'm writing it down and trademarking it straight away. Like it. <laughs> how do you? How do you see? Um, as we are the Good Luck Club podcast, we have to talk about luck from time to time. How do you view luck in business, and, and has luck played a part in your business? You know, I think it's when I, when you, when I saw, you know, you might ask this question, I, my natural response is I don't believe in luck. I do believe in creating opportunities. Having said that, I thought I can't say that because that sounds really rubbish. So um, I think from a good luck perspective, um, when I founded Nutcracker, I happened to go to um, a lunch where I would never normally have gone. Um, and I've met someone who said, what are you doing now? I said, funnily enough, I've just launched a business today. They said, what is it? And I said, it's sales and marketing. And they said, well, my husband's business is looking for an agency. Um, and I got introduced and I went into pitch against two established businesses in the manufacturing world and two, um, who were just very good agencies have won lots of awards. And I kind of went in going, how long have you been going? About a day. Um, and through that introduction, um, like I got appointed, they were still my flagship clients. Um, 
and it's been a fabulous journey with them fascinating business I love what I do with them so the good luck aspect is that I hadn't gone to that lunch could have been sitting here going the first year was terrible it was awful instead it was it was amazing bad luck you know I think Brexit was tough some of my some of my clients um their turnover is very much linked in with, say, FTSE 100. Um, some of their suppliers, some of those companies that had to wait to see the outcome of Brexit because obviously the impact on the currency, they, it, it affected my business because obviously every knock-on effect comes down the food chain. That was tough. And obviously, you know, COVID, we could never have planned for a global pandemic. Having said that, lots more positive has come out of the COVID, the COVID impact for Nutcracker than Brexit. Brexit was just painful. It just felt like it was just putting growth on hold whereas covid has felt like it's it's full of opportunity so that's just for me personally i'm not suggesting for one instant all the terrible you know impact on lots of businesses but for nutcracker personally you know there's been some massive positives that have come from this period so yeah so, so i guess that's my good luck and my bad luck but i do believe that you do create your own opportunities so it's not lucky that nutcracker grew you know myself and the team have worked our backsides off. You know, it's not lucky that clients have sent referrals. We've produced exceptional work. That's why they want to recommend us. Um, and I think if more people have that anchor, that you have that control, life feels more solid because you're not waiting for luck to happen. You're creating it and you're making making that kind of luck happen for yourself. Yeah, I, I actually agree with you. I, I, my, my personal view, and that's one of the reasons I like bringing this subject up, in the podcast and debating it with people is that there's actually two types of luck the dictionary actually needs an update on working on it but one is this random luck you say where you're born not really anything you can do about that right that's yeah. not anything you're in control of um but it can bring you huge advantages um equally you can argue something like covid is 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 not um anyone's fault it you know despite conspiracy theories it's nobody's fault and and ultimately we know how you view that luck or that bad luck moment is how ultimately um, you deal with it, ultimately whether or not it turns out to be good luck or bad luck for you. So I can understand your point about COVID. I think it's interesting you make a comparison between COVID and Brexit as kind of good luck, bad luck scenarios. And what's interesting about that is I, I think for me, Brexit was a very divisive thing. It caused a lot, yeah. of, lot of good people to fight with each other. I feel with COVID, in a way, we're kind of united around trying to get through it. Which, yeah. is, which is somehow in a bizarre twist, more positive, isn't it? Yeah, I'd not thought of it like that. And, and perhaps that's and perhaps that is quite a critical difference is that, in fact, that's really interesting. That could well be the difference as to why it's been a positive rather than it feeling really difficult because I mean, Brexit drags on for so long. It affects, you know, people that said it didn't affect business. That's just political, isn't it? It mm. did. Um, whether or not long term it would or won't, that, that then becomes political because no one can get their little balls out and predict the future. <laughs> yes. um, Nutcracker, nut little balls. I can see a theme slowly building up here. Well, but yes. To be fair, I didn't want to tell you, but I have got some, but I'll yeah, keep them. I'm sure, I'm sure. But no, um, I, I think also, yeah. I guess with Brexit, I, I mean, within my own family, people, we were arguing with each other, but with COVID, we're all about protecting you know, our elderly. Yeah, I think it's really interesting family. what you said there. And I mean, yeah, I think, yes, I, I, I've never thought of it like that, but I think there's definitely perhaps why positives have come from it. You, you mentioned earlier um, going to an, a, a lunch and, and just when you started the business and meeting your client and kind of, you know, I guess you put yourself out there though, right? I mean, you asked the university, you said you're starting a business and, and you went out there and you asked the university yeah, I mean, and they gave you a client. You know, yeah, I'd never marketed a manufacturing product. I'd never even worked at an agency, you know. So I could have turned up and gone on the fifth pitch this is silly. So I just thought, well, why wouldn't they want me? Right. Like, why wouldn't they want Nutcracker? We're, we're going to be amazing. We're going to, and 
and Nutcracker did change the fortune of that business. Like I was lucky though, because when I, when I had this um, life changing weekends, you know, I've worked in media for um, quite a few years trying to add it up quickly, but I couldn't, um, about 16 years. And I just thought, who is the, who are the best people I have ever worked with? You know, and then I called them and said, look, will you be on my founding team? There's no, you know, will you step in if I've got freelance work? Will you, will you be united? And I was really lucky that every single one suggests and they were, or they still are exceptionally talented people. So I was, you know, that, is that lucky? A great relationship with them it was respect was mutual. So I don't know, but that definitely was an advantage. That I kind of walked in with a killer team. Now, obviously when the business grew, I needed to replace them with employees, but um, those, those people did play a part in the early days of giving me their credibility and their support. And that, and that was very helpful. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you put lucky to two separate categories, the random luck and the luck you make for yourself, what you're talking about there is that you built up a reputation, you'd worked hard, you'd been sincere, you'd made relationships with people. And then when you needed their help, they helped you and got involved in yeah. supporting winning that work. Right. So you made your own luck. That's a different type of luck in my view. Uh, part of what I wish I could um, take this confidence I feel that you have and give it to my listeners that don't have it you know I, I, I'd love if there was a way we need to come up with a device or some sort of you know a bit, some sort of um, energy wave because I, I when I listen to you talk about kind of pushing through like you're saying winning this client you knew you could why not try you know I think that's such a big part of the entrepreneur spirit you know and you can come from any walk of life if you have that I think you can make anything happen and that's what I'm loving about what you're saying personally yeah, I think so. And I think that those people that are feeling, you know, I do a lot of, I do a lot of work with self-esteem and all the rest of it. And, and I totally get that a massive advantage is my inbred confidence. Like it's a massive advantage over people that have self-doubt, who have, you know, that lack of self-belief. Um, but, you know, someone juggling with it, you've really got to ask yourself, what have you got to lose? You know, what is so frightening about failing at something? And the second you allow yourself or you tell yourself it's okay to fail, fear goes. It's okay. If I walked into that pitch and I hadn't got it, it would have been okay. And it would be more than okay because I would have learned something from it that made me better next time. You know, and I think it's taking those positives and really looking at, you know, when something goes wrong, you know, it would be, be very Disney of me to say that everything's perfect and rosy, nothing ever goes wrong at Nutcracker. When something goes wrong, which invariably it does, for me, what I say to the team is a team, you don't judge a team by when things are going well. You judge a, you know, you judge a team by when the shit hits, sorry, you know, when you're up against it. And I think that's really true in, you know, when you're doing anything, it's not about what happens when it's all perfect, but how you react, how resilient you are, how you, how you deal with the downturn. And I think anyone that wants to go into an entrepreneurial path, you've got to be prepared for those downturns. You know, it is going to be tough. Like I've had days where, you know, I felt so overwhelmed. No one else knew because I have a great ability to mask it, but I felt really overwhelmed. And, you know, I'm smiling and joking the whole time and cheer them up, but thinking in my head, oh my goodness. Um, and you just got to have that resilience to know that it's one day at a time, just keep going. It's a bit like, you know, I started jogging during COVID. I wanted to do it for years, but having no time because I run my own business, having kids, I never got around to it. Whereas, you know, I started jogging sport. I was obsessed with sport at school. Thought, oh, this is easy. I can, my mind, I can do anything I want. I've had to run for 10 miles. You know, of course I couldn't. I got to end the road, almost had a heart attack. But, you know, a few, a few weeks on, you know, I run 5K before I start working in the mornings. But that's that's a step at a time. It was like little victories. It was getting to 
past that tree that I could only get to in the first few weeks and getting to the cafe and getting to here. You know, and I think it's all about those milestones, stretching yourself that bit further, that bit further. It's not, you know, Rome wasn't conquered in a day, I don't think. Um, so I think it's about, you know, not expecting everything to be easy, not expecting everything to happen. Like it takes resilience, it takes hard work, it takes effort and it takes drive to keep, keep, be, keep, keep trying. And then, then I think you succeed. So I think it's knowing not to quit and knowing not to give in to that feeling of self-indulgence of I'm not good enough. Like all that self-indulgence we tell ourselves, like it's so ridiculous. Um, and I think when you can get to the bottom of that voice on your shoulder that's telling you you're not good enough, you're this, you're that, you're that. If you can stop that voice, then the people that have got that um, that desire to start their own business, but they're listening to that voice, you'll find it a lot easier because you won't be listening to that voice of doom telling you that you're going to fail and it's ridiculous and all the rest of it because it won't be there. Well said. I, I think sometimes I feel like replacing the word failure with something more positive. You know, like that was a good experience. I can't sum it up exactly, but you know, there's some, there's something missing. Maybe as a as a communicator, branding person, you can have a think about that. I definitely think we need to rebrand the word failure. Failure seems so negative, doesn't it? And actually, oh, yeah, I read, it's a huge I read positive. Um, yeah, I can't think of who the entrepreneur was, but I read this interview ages and ages ago. I can't think who it was. Anyway, someone amazing. I can't remember their name, but they were amazing. And they had said... Um, it's just like Elon Musk could be done with it. It's easy. Yeah, we'll say it's him. But no, because he's been a bit dodgy in the Amber Johnny case. Oh, I don't okay. think we'll say him. Okay. Um, but it was somebody and they, and they had said that when they got back from school, their dad or mum, whoever it was, or caregiver said, what did you fail at today? in a positive way right, so they yeah. could learn from it yeah. whereas we're ingrained in saying to our kids what was good and they go well such and such doesn't like me anymore you go no 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 no. what was good you know like but it's okay isn't it it's like that film inside out have you seen it i, I haven't no I well watch it now. i really would watch it okay i'll watch it now or after the podcast well, we could watch it now and get some popcorn <laughs> but, you know, I, I, a- I think it's actually it's interesting i think the word good is actually negative and the word Failure is actually positive. It depends I, how you dress it up, doesn't it? Well, I that's good. I mean, and good, good is kind of the whole line. Good is the enemy of great, right? And so, you know, I often say to my son, you're good. Well, what does that even mean anyway? You know, like, who's good, who's bad? Who's deciding these things? And what's failure and what's not? Who's deciding yeah. these things anyway? What about your interesting? Yeah. You're really interesting. Yeah. Surely that's a much bigger compliment than you're good. Yeah, yeah. By the way, you said Disney of me, just to make you know, you've got to be careful. You've got Nutcracker, you're saying Disney. That, you know, well, that's they- because one of my um, acquaintances slash friends, I was on a podcast with him and he is so annoying and he keeps introducing me as someone from Disney. So I'm over-associating, trying to distance myself and now I'm mentioning it. So he's yeah. properly into my head. Right, so yeah. After and, you know, they have words they, they listen to words and then it gets highlighted that someone's talking <laughs> nutcracker and disney and can we charge them so um they absolutely can't charge you or me for this broadcast <laughs> disney is a way of explaining a feeling we're being positive about disney but um well, mate, but is it really a feeling or is it really sick anyway yeah yes anyway i i knew what you meant do, do you think um when, when you look at what's going on uh, in in the world of education now you've got two children um you know they're not they're not young children anymore i think they're 10 11 12 you said um, yeah 12 and 10 yeah 12 and 10 um they've been through the school system what's your view on education so i think that um i think it's interesting I i think i don't think that's an easy question i think for me i 
was always told at school, it was quite negative. Like how hard I tried, I was never going to get an A star. Even if I gave the same paper as someone else, I'd always get B plus because the teachers didn't inherently like me because I was cheeky, I was chatty. I wasn't, I didn't fit into a nice box. But I think education is power. I think it gives you options. And for my kids, um, who are exceptionally well behaved at school, whenever I come out of their parents' evenings, I'm always like, wow, that apple does fall far from that tree. Um, it's incredible, actually. But I think, for me, education will open doors and it gives, it gives them an opportunity. Now, with our system, it does mean that you have to get numbers in a box against subjects which are they going to help you in the future well I don't know but the fact is that is how our society is set up so you have to encourage them to do their best at that to enable them to have options in my opinion. Do you see your children going to university do you do you think university is the right? I think it depends I think it depends what they want to do it depends where they want to it depends where it's going to add anything I mean I think sometimes university can add stuff just because it's a life experience whether or not that's going to enable you to go and get a better job than go and get an apprenticeship. I don't necessarily think that's the case anymore, unless you want to go and be, you know, a profession which requires a degree to enter it. So I guess it depends on what they want to do. Um, I don't think they've failed if they don't go. Um, But equally, I want them to fulfil their dreams. So whatever they want to do, I want to equip them as best I can for them to to fulfil it. So if that involves needing to go to universities to do a job they want, then I'll make sure I encourage them. If, if, And also I'm quite re- realistic with them. Like they see me work hard, which is why I think they work hard. Um, and, you know, I'm quite realistic about the fact that, you know, to have a nice life does cost money. So there's having dreams, but there's also, you know, I don't know how to give an example, potentially, if anything, but, you know, if a lot of people had a lot more steer when they were younger and you said, right, well, that's really great, but you're still going to only earn that in 40, 50 years, they perhaps would make a different choice. Like, I think it's about equipping, equipping children with the reality of what adult, being adult is. I mean, I, I support the Young Enterprise Charity and I went into a school to work with um, year nine around um, learn to earn. And I sat around a table with, um, some young people and like you got this questionnaire and it's like what kind of life do you want my house car you know all this stuff of course they're all ticking they want everything and then at the end it was you know well to have that life you need to earn a quarter million pounds a year and the average joint income in the UK is something like 30,000 which so I think there's a reality of what do you want? Now, some people aren't materialistic, so they're not, they're not going to be governed by that. So I think it depends on what your drivers are, what you want, how you see your life and what you want from your life. I think that should affect what you go on to do rather than I would never say to my children, you're going to be a failure if you haven't become a lawyer. Um, you know, I want them to fulfill their potential. And I mean, life's great, isn't it? I want them to enjoy it. And like you said, I don't know if it's before this, we recorded or started recording, but if you do something you love, it doesn't feel like work. And I think that's so true. Like, yeah, I might get stressed with Nutcrack. It might be overwhelming at times, but I genuinely love what I do. So do I mind that I work at the weekend sometimes? Do I mind that I've worked for most holidays I've had in the last six years? No, because I love it. Do you see your children going into the entrepreneurial realm? Do you, do, do, do you think that's... I it? think that's up to them. Do, do, any instinct right now? I guess I'm getting a tip from my own son. Like, what's the, what's the, Do you encourage it or not? I think my youngest is extremely creative. Um, I think she'll succeed in something where someone else has got put structure around her. 
so she can just be creative. I think my eldest could absolutely run her own business, you know, but that might change. You know, she's only 10 years old, my youngest. I might, you know, I, I don't, I don't really care what they do. I want them to be really decent human beings that have great opportunities that fulfill their potential. What that looks like is up to them. I'm not really a tiger mum in that sense. I just want them to be, I just want them to fulfill, almost feel confident, fulfill their ambition and feel great about the world. Mm. I mean, it's a great attitude and, uh, think that a lot, sometimes I, I didn't have a good education similar to you I felt like I just didn't really enjoy school I didn't get much from it but I think it's it's important to have an open mind not because I didn't enjoy school me and my son won't right yeah <laughs> and just assume that he won't want to do the things that I didn't want to do so it's yeah like, I've been tougher mind. because of that you know I've been tougher because I did you know did I was that child whose parents left and was crying at my parents even like I have said to them that's not acceptable you know like you have to there's certain certain things that are acceptable and like listening and paying attention is kind of a deal breaker, you know? So I think um, I'm tougher because I know how rubbish it is to to be singled out at school and how it's so much easier if teachers like you. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, they're probably going to listen to this podcast too, so you better say how much you love them very quickly because I'm sure you do. Well, my children, I yeah, love my children. of course. I, yeah. so teachers, they... I don't love them. Well, but, yeah, no. but it is it is a difficult one, isn't it? Education for your children is particularly difficult, I think. I mean, I'm having that trouble myself, deciding what is best for my child when I don't know what they want yet. And sometimes they don't know what they want either. So, yeah, but um, I mean... I mean gen- my privilege, I go to a private school, which automatically gives them opportunity, you know, mm they're very lucky I've worked with lots of schools from disadvantaged I mean like you said earlier good fortune I mean my kids are born lucky they're they're lucky they're loved they're secure they've got great opportunities but do you know what a lot of the successful people I know have actually had quite tough starts in life and I I sometimes wonder when you said about an entrepreneur's born or bred I sometimes wonder whether actually entrepreneurs are better if they've had some form of um like something really tough happened because i think that resilience and that drive and that kind of burning desire to succeed is there far more than if you've had an easier start i don't know well no i mean i, I think i think actually statistically it's true you know pe- people that have had a, a hard upbringing i mean you can pick celebrities if you want and ones you like and ones you don't but you know if you look at a lot of them um like mike tyson for example grew up in the streets having to survive by fighting bare knuckle, right? I mean, you could argue that made him, conditioned him to become a world champion boxer. He didn't turn out to be a particularly good human being, but you know, but but ultimately, but ultimately, I mean, he's actually got his own podcast show now. Interestingly enough, it's, it's really I wouldn't get my ears near him. It's very well. This, yeah, that's funny you say that. I wonder if they've done something around the podcast he's doing right now. I'd be literally there like this. Hi, yeah, Mike. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, um, he was a street fighter, right? So that's why a lot of people were scared of him too. But, but you know, I totally agree with you. There's, there's an interesting dynamic. I have the same dilemma with my son. My mother kicked me out of home at 15. I mean, so it was actually, you know, I, I, it, was, it was not good at the time, but a blessing later in my life. I now love my life. And in part, it's because... I don't I, know. Is that ever a blessing? Well, I, I mean, I want it, well, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I, I really love my life now and I wouldn't change a thing. I'm not saying you don't, but that's tough. 15 is too young. That's tough. Yeah, well, I mean, um, my my mum doesn't agree. She she thinks it's uh, you know it was good for me, and 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 part of me agrees. You know, that I think there is an element to your point that I'd had quite a privileged upbringing up to that point, and if I hadn't learnt the value of having to pay the bills myself and having to make things work and buy my own first car and and so on, you know, you don't necessarily appreciate these things in the same way. 
Um, yeah, and I had I had a very tough time at certain stages. So I, I don't know, I, and I'm not, and I'm not even near as successful as you are. Lots of other people that have had tough times, but I think that I do wonder whether actually, um, you know, that that toughness does give you more resilience. Mm. But that's back to the conditioning, born or bred, isn't it? I think you can be given resilience without necessarily being given hardship. No, what I think you can, except for I've probably got to cut this short soon, haven't we? But I was reading this interview around. Um, I can't remember what it's about now. These stories are terrible, aren't they? But this article was around children that end up in um, therapy, not children, young adults that end up in therapy. And this psychologist was saying that one of the reasons she's seeing all these people is not because they've had something terrible happen to them or something, you know, it's because they've been told their lives how great they are and how wonderful they are. Their needs have all been met. They've been told that even when they're terrible at maths, been told they're good. So when they go into the real world, they can't cope with it because all of a sudden no one's sitting there telling them that their crappy work is brilliant. And, you know, so actually they're set up to have a dissatisfied life because parents can't turn around to them and say, no, you're not particularly strong at that. However, look at what you are strong at. Like, and I I don't know whether or not some of this mollycoddling and like, you know, like, you know, I've certainly challenges with my, my own daughter now around kind of screen time and what's acceptable, what's okay for 12 and, yeah, there's a lot of parents, I think, that are afraid to say, no, no, that's not, that's not cool. You can't do that. You know, and I think that otherwise, if you don't have more boundaries with children, I think they do go on to be adults who, how can they have resilience and determination if they've never had to have it? Mm, they haven't learned that along the way. They haven't learned that they're going to climb that tree, scrape their knee, do it the next time they have to do it. They've never had to learn, you know, that it's okay. Because they're too busy, someone kind of wrapping them up in cotton wool and going, don't worry, darling, it wasn't your fault. They're all terrible. Well, actually, no, perhaps you were terrible and learn from it. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, we could go deep on this subject too. I, I think I should, we should just create our own podcast series talking to you. I just feel mm. like there's a lot. I, 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 I was talking to a, a, a psychologist around how to deal with children. And, and one of the elements that I picked up on that they were talking about was how when um, a child will say to a parent, are you okay? And the parent, if they're not okay, will still say they're okay. But the child yeah. knows that's not true, so they yeah. don't they don't get to pick up on the you know what what is the truth and what is not what is resilience and what is a lie, you know and and that kind of whole like that we tell them not to lie yet we lie to them. Yeah, or we know. say we say don't cry. Well, why don't cry? Cry, let it totally. out. Yeah, totally. Yeah, we get into a whole there's crying thing. session now. Let's just you know. Yeah. Okay. You let go first. Go. You go first, but um, but no, I, I mean, actually, uh, you're right. Our, our, our listeners give us an hour of their time, and um, I'm, I'm enjoying talking to you so much that we're overrunning. But so um, I have to have you back on, and we can talk about all these things in more more depth. But I wanted to just kind of finish off the podcast, maybe on something a little lighter, in, in, the, in, 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 in the vein of how we've been talking today. This will turn into something heavy, but let's try anyway. If you went back to your younger self and, and gave some advice, what would it be? I think it would be to be kind to myself be kind were you unkind to yourself when you were younger I think I'm quite a hard taskmaster with myself Mm. I think um I think kindness to yourself is quite a quite a good skill Mm. I like that what would you say well I don't know you didn't know you when you were younger I wouldn't know what to go back and say what would you say about you oh I see I know what you mean well I mean for myself I mean interestingly enough um I, I, yeah, I, 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 well, I mean, if I went back to the 15 year old me, because I was always interested to pick ages that you're at, right? I, I would probably say it's, it's going to be all right. And actually, yeah. this might feel like bad luck and a hard time, but somehow it's actually good luck and the best of times, you know? Aww, so, yeah. Well, 
You asked me. Who's interviewing who here? (laughs) Well, Jenny, thank you for your time. I'm going to sum up some of the things I've taken from our chat today. And um, so I I like the opening things we talked about. And I kind of took this line, which is uh, sales is not an argument, which is interesting. Um, I like that whole line you said there and you were, you were kind of joking but I do think sometimes sales is 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 a is a debate but certainly not an argument but I do like that that, that framing of sales a little bit you know that getting getting people to think about sales in a different way I you said don't give in to fear which um I also like I think I have this thing about fear being actually a skill and an asset and leaning into it, which you then on went on to say. You went on to say that you actually kind of lean into to the opportunities and you don't shy away from it despite people installing fear in you. And I, I turn that into panic in my mind. That's a panic. People are trying to make you have panic. But fear is actually a good thing and you push through that. Um, I think you mentioned um, in, in context perception. It's a very important thing to what other people's perceptions are, your own perceptions. I think that's a really good word for people to keep in mind when they're getting feedback. What is that person's perception of the situation? What was their life like when they're giving you that advice? Does it necessarily relate to something that's that's relevant for you? I mean, that's why I do this podcast, because I have an opinion and other people have an opinion and I want people to have perspective based on um, lots of different opinions. Um, don't tell Jenny what to do. I like yeah. that. I think that should just... It's probably on on your company wall, is it? But I kind of just want the listeners to know in case they make any comments telling no, you what to I, do. No, I am very very open to constructive feedback. Yes, I, I know that's that's different to telling you what to do, though. Feedback. I mean, yeah, constructive I feedback. Love, I love being wrong because you can learn. And I, and I think that's something you you mentioned at the end of the podcast. You know, the whole concept of you know, people can give feedback, and you need to be resilient enough to have that feedback. Resilience yeah, is very important. Yeah, you need, to, need yeah. to listen. Yeah, but, totally. that, but that is different to um, telling you what to do. And I think personalities like yourself, you know, it's, it should giving you advice and giving you feedback is awesome. Just don't tell you what to do. I feel the same way. By the way, I don't like people. Yeah, I'm not great at that. I like the point you mentioned about um, what if. It is such a negative connotation, what if, but what if it can be positive? I really like that point you've made. Um, Brexit is bad luck. COVID is a challenge, but actually an opportunity as well for people to reassess their lives, reassess what's important, readjust their businesses. And it's actually more positive than Brexit. I think we should make that into a T-shirt. Um, and because you said about everyone's pulling in the same direction, which I think is a distinction. So, yes. kind of that's really you, you got that point, really. Yeah, I, I'll take credit. Yeah, so yeah. maybe I should do a podcast show. Um, I like the point we talked around failure um, versus good. I think failure is is a positive word. Um, we need to work on coming up with a better word than failure. Somehow it doesn't frame itself right, but actually, failure is good, and being good is sometimes uh, bad because it can be the enemy of great. So, so. Um, I do think the university universe gives you what you asked for, a bit like you were explaining in the early days about what you did uh, when you went out there and, and started a business and then went to a lunch and, and you told someone you started a business and, and because you put it out there, you then got the business that, that, that led to your success. So um, asking the universe for, for what you want is good. I like your end statement too around be, be kind. And my dogs always bark at the end of the podcast, so um, now is the right time for them to bark. But, but be kind to yourself and be kind to others i think that's generally just a wonderful message um and well, i think but i really think it's true like no, when you're I, quick I love it to, you know when you're quick to bite someone's head off you're quick to criticize you're quick to be difficult like why yeah, like, what are you right. going to achieve like you're not going to shift your bad energy you're still going to feel lousy just make someone else feel lousy totally and i think being kind sometimes it's not about telling people what to do or giving judgment or even giving advice it's just 
being kind and listening, isn't it? Yeah. So on that note, I want to thank our listeners for listening to us. I want to thank you for joining us and sharing your wisdom with my listeners. Thank you very much for having me. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you for joining this week's episode of the Good Luck Club podcast. I hope you enjoyed Jenny's insights. If you did, can you give us a comment below or perhaps click through to Jenny's companies and give her social media pages a like. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to us today. We know you have thousands of podcasts you could be listening to and you take time out to listen to ours. We feel incredibly lucky. Thank you.